0: Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Clive Urquhart. Prayer is more key than at any other time. Uh, How many of you know that the power of prayer is more powerful than any army uh, that is at work? When you hear some of the stories from the Second World War, when People gathered to pray. They're praying fastly, but they prayed sometimes 24, 48 hours non-stop for weeks on end. There are certain things in the Second World War that, although you don't hear uh, necessarily in the history books, or if you hear certain, watch certain programs, you know about the Second World War, you, you don't really hear about the prayer that was going on uh, behind. But there's prayer that is directly related to events changing in the Second World War. And sometimes it's easy to think, isn't it, when there's a scenario that is going on in the Ukraine, like it is, it's like, wow, what does my little prayer do? Uh, It's not just our little prayer. When we gather to pray and we agree together, the Bible says we're two on earth agree about anything in my name. Uh, There my Father is to do it, to accomplish it. And when we pray into these things, it's important. It's like, Father, how do you want me to pray? How do you want me to pray? And sometimes when we pray off our own understanding, we pray many, many things. Uh, But sometimes, you know, when we pray, it's like, Father, how do I pray? And God speaks, He might give you one scripture. He might give you one thing just to pray. And, and when you pray with others and you say, hey, we agree, let's agree together to pray in this way, what, how we believe God is showing us, that's the prayer of agreement. And when we pray being God informed in our prayer, what we're praying then is agreeing not just together, but agreeing with Him as to, thou, as to how He then works and moves in the situation. So when we're praying like that, we're not praying trying to get Him to do what we think he should be doing and saying, God, come on, where are you? What we're doing is, is like God informs us as to how we need to pray in relation to how he is working so that we're cooperating with him in prayer so that he then is doing what he is, is doing. So it's really, really important um, to pray uh, in that in that way. And in in these kind of situations. So we'll try and give you, you know, some updates as to what we're aware. We know that a lot of believers in relation to one new man, they are going into other nations to the east of the Ukraine. There's a network of things set up to to house people and to in different ways. It's amazing that what is already in place. But there are many that are still there staying in the country uh, where they are, and they obviously want to defend their, their nation and their. Homes, their cities in whatever way. So let's just continue to pray into that whole scenario. Seems a little bit, not that we're going to switch gears because this is all kind of relevant uh, this morning, but we're we're moving into uh, a kind of new series, if we can put it that way. And this morning, we're we're going to start to look uh, through the book of Romans uh, or the letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to the believers, to the church in Rome. And it's called Romans, uh, but the church in Rome was made up of Jew and Gentile together. And so what, what, are, what I'm going to do this morning, just for a few minutes, is just to kind of give us the, the kind of heads up really for where we're going to be going over probably quite a period of time going through the letter of Romans. And the reason we are going to be going through this, this letter or this book as we often call them, the books of the Bible, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. When we were in the autumn, had that series going through the culture of grace. What does it mean to have a culture of grace amongst us and to live that as a church? Uh, In the middle of that that time, uh, God, uh, He began to talk to me about the book of Romans and I was reading through Romans at the time and I believe God said that this book at this time is really significant, not just for us as a church, but for his church, especially in this nation at this time, that, it, that it's a significant book. It's, it's a prophetic book for now, uh, which means it's really relevant in terms of a number of reasons, which I'll go into now as a, as a heads up as to why I believe it is so, so important that as a church, but also in this nation as the church, we understand what, well, let's put it this way, we understand why he wrote this letter. What was the prime reason that Paul wrote this letter to the church in in Rome and all the things that then ripple out of the one main reason why he wrote this letter. You'll hear many people say many things about Romans, but there aren't many people that say this is the primary reason why he wrote this book and why I believe, when we talk about that in a minute, why it's so prophetically relevant right now for the church, not just us, but the church to understand this. Who is he writing to we need to understand the context in which the Apostle Paul was speaking into. We also need to understand the content, what he actually wrote and why that is so significant now. And there are a whole number of reasons that come out of this primary reason we're going to look at in a minute and, uh, and the content that he wrote. Then the relevant significance and the parallel of why he wrote it, the context in which he was writing and what he wrote, why that is so relevant, significant and so parallel for us now as his church, as the body of Christ, but also what does it mean for us in terms of what we believe and therefore what and how we live as believers today. So, there's a lot in this book and and in this letter that he wrote, and we're going to be we're going to take a while, some time, to go through this over the next few months. Uh, and at different points, when we touch on different specific areas of truth, or, or what Paul is speaking into, we might have some little drop downs, if you like when we get into certain things as we go through this book and some drop downs might go on for three or four weeks, okay? As we drop down uh, into a particular subject or area or something that Paul is speaking into or addressing and we just need to do some drop downs for a few weeks to unpack that, whatever those those things might be over the coming months. Um, So we're we're not just going to do a line by line thing, verse by verse going through Romans, uh, we'll, as we go through, there'll be some drop downs and it will relate into some different things that he wrote in other epistles, other letters to the church in other places. Um, but Romans, you would say, is, is probably the most in-depth explanation that Paul gives of the Gospel. And we need to understand what the Gospel is uh, in a fuller way than we might use that word Gospel. Often we use the word Gospel to say, talk about the cross, as in the Gospel message is that we are sinners, we need a Saviour, God sent a Saviour, to save us from sin and our sin, from the power of sin and our sins. He took all of what we should be punished for. Jesus took all of that on Himself and became the living sacrifice for us so that we could, so that the forgiveness of sin was made possible. Jesus took sin upon Himself and on the cross Gave up his spirit, having defeated sin, death and hell. The devil. Three days later, he rose again because those things have been defeated. And we rise to a new life in him as new creations in Christ Jesus. When we come to him, when anybody comes to him and say, God, forgive me for being a sinner. Forgive me for every sin that I've committed. I want you to cleanse me, purify me, make me a new person in you, and then we are resurrected. We come into that new life in Christ and then we want to live that out as a disciple of Jesus. Now, in essence, that is the Gospel. But we're going to unpack how Paul describes what the Gospel is and why did he write Romans chapters 1 to chapters 8. Why did he write those? Then why did he write chapters 9, 10 and 11, which we'll explain in a minute? And then why did he then write 12 to 16 and the things that he wrote in those? We need to understand and fully get to grips with these 16 chapters in Romans because it hits a number of levels. And if we understand, it'll change the way we think, the way we pray, the way we live and the way we relate. And then the way we share the Gospel to others and the urgency that there is to be declaring, preaching, teaching, whatever, the Gospel at this, uh, at this time. So before we get into just answering a couple of those questions at a headline level this morning, many of you know who the Apostle Paul is. Maybe some of you in here or online this morning, we've got Burgess Hill and Worthing joining in with us this morning. They're all church in the homes. So great to connect with you guys this morning. Hopefully you're having a good time so far. Uh, and obviously us, we, us guys are in here. Why did God choose Paul? He was a, before his name was Paul, he was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a, expert in the law. He was a Jewish leader who was very, very legalistic. Everything had to be followed to the letter of the law. It was all about the outward actions of living the law, but it had nothing to do with the heart. In terms of it was a legalistic religion of living out the law and part of his role was to make sure that people were living according to the letter of the law. He describes himself in Philippians chapter three. He describes himself in this way about how religious he was before he met Jesus. And he says this about himself. I was circumcised on the eighth day, like all good Jews were of the people of Israel. So he's identifying here with the people he's writing to. I was a good Jew, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he was locating himself in a particular tribe that were, he says, Hebrew of Hebrews because of the line of the tribe of Benjamin and the line that that came from. And he said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was like, if you wanted to meet anybody that was religious and zealous and was going for it, then you've met him. I was the guy. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecute in the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. So this guy basically was saying, I was zealous. I was passionate. I live for this thing more than anything else. To be zealous, to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews and all of that. Persecuting the church. In the midst of all of that, how he used to live, he was on his way to Damascus. Jesus turns up. He's blind. Saul is blinded, falls off his horse, doesn't know what's going on, has a conversation with Jesus. Jesus is saying, you're persecuting me. He has this encounter. He ends up uh, in a house. God sends Ananias to go and see Saul. Ananias is like, are you sure, God? Go and see a guy called Saul. Isn't he the one that is persecuting the church? It's like God blinding Putin or Hitler or whoever might, you can pick out somebody like, and saying, To you, hey, the guy is in a house here. Go and see him and you're going to pray for him. His eyes are going to be open. He's going to be filled with the Spirit and you need to give him this prophetic word that I'm going to use him for my kingdom purposes. I'm going to turn his life completely around. I mean, that's what it was like, God speaking to Ananias to go and see Saul. And so... Ananias is like, okay, God spoke to somebody that was going to be obedient. He, he, you know, Ananias might have, are you sure, Lord? He knew that Ananias would actually go and do what he asked him to do. And ultimately Saul got his sight back and, and that's when it was like, you're not going to be called Saul anymore. You're going to be called Paul. You and, and, and part of the prophetic word was, look, Saul, in the same way, you've caused suffering for those who believed in me. You're now going to suffer for my name as you take my name to those who need to hear. And, and I think one of the things we need to understand when we get into the context in which Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he's writing into, to a bunch of believers that lived in a city that was the epicenter of the Roman Empire. And all that that represented and meant and, and, and being persecuted for your faith, being arrested for being a Christian, put in, in the Roman Colosseum, they would feed you to the lions. They would get gladiators out to rip you to bits and all of that for being a Christian in Rome. That's what it was like. Very different than our Christianity in our nation, right? And he's speaking to the believers in Rome to, to decide to become a Christian or to believe in Jesus in that culture, the epicentre of this empire was potentially a life or death decision. And Paul takes this guy, God takes this guy, Saul, who renames him Paul. And God takes a guy who was an expert in the law. He understood, he was a very, when we say academic, he was an academic guy. Sometimes we think being academic is, is a negative thing. Well, you shouldn't be academic, you should just be full of the Spirit. Um, But take somebody who is very academic, who had a brilliant mind. You fill him with the Holy Spirit. He surrenders all of who he is to the Holy Spirit and how God can then download over a period of time, because God took Paul off for a period of years and He did a download to him to give him the understanding of how to explain the Gospel how to explain then what it means to be in Christ and to have Christ in you. And all the truths that then come through so many letters that Paul wrote that many of us live in the good of now, that God used a man like that to then be able to explain so much. And as we get into Romans over the next few weeks, months, we're gonna look at some of what Paul explains. We're not gonna go into certain, certain we're not gonna become anoraks, Okay where we just get full of knowledge because God speaks to the heart before He speaks to the mind. Now, biblically, heart, mind are are, are very much together in Jewish understanding. So He speaks to your mind, but in Jewish understanding, Hebrew understanding, He doesn't speak to a reasoning mind without the heart, but He doesn't speak to the heart without understanding in the mind. And it's this thing here. So God speaks into our spirit, if we can put it that way, but but God wants to speak into our hearts. And and when He speaks into our hearts, He gives that revelation that helps our mind to understand how we need to think. So if we if we look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and, and what we call the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, where he for those three chapters, Jesus unpacks stuff, all of them address the, the heart, not the mind. But if if he if he speaks to your heart, it will challenge your mind the way we think. And that's because we have a heart challenge, we then have to decide, do I want to surrender my thinking, my understanding, my mind, my heart and everything that I am? Do I want to submit that to what I know is convicting me or speaking to me about what is truth? And so when we come to the Bible, when we come to look at Romans, for example, What we're looking at is, is Father, we want to submit our minds, our understanding, our hearts to You and to what You say in Your Word. There is a challenge at this time in the world. There's a challenge to what is truth. And there are many different opinions and thoughts on what people's truth is. And people are making up their own truths, their own. And it comes from opinion. It comes from life experience. It comes from what has happened to me. It comes from somebody else's view on life and opinion on life. There's so many different places that people are forming their opinions and their own version of what they say truth is. And for believers, we get the truth of what we understand life to be who God is and what life is and why we're here and what life is all about. We get our truth from who God is and then how He's described life in the Bible. He's put words in a book that help us to understand what is truth. And Paul is writing into a, a context in Rome where the culture of the day The philosophy of the day is affecting the life of the church in a negative way. And Paul needed to write to them for a certain reason so that they understood how they needed to be as Jew and Gentile together in the church in Rome and that what that would then mean in terms of how they lived. Okay. So, what is the prime reason of Paul writing? the letter to the church in Rome, is this. Paul was addressing the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, the believers, where they had a growing tension between them. That is why he wrote the Book of Romans, to address this tension discord, disagreement that there was between the Gentile believers, primarily Romans and as in Roman people and the Jewish believers that were there. That's why he wrote the book and to address the issue of why there was a division, why they there was a growing tension, in order to address that issue, he writes so he, he, he has to write chapters one to eight, which is basically an explanation of what the Gospel is and why we need the Gospel, who the Gospel is for, and whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, there is no difference. Every person needs the Gospel. Or every person needs salvation. Every person needs what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And what Paul does in those first eight chapters is he he creates a level playing field describing no matter whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a Roman believer or whether you are a a Jewish believer, there's only one Gospel. And this is what the Gospel is. This is who it is for because every person on the planet is a sinner is in need of a saviour. And so he writes into, he's writing into this context. That's why he he writes the book, okay, the letter to them. And he goes into so much depth because Paul understood God's kingdom purposes. We We have to remove ourselves from a moment from having a very Western Christianity. And we have to take ourselves back a few thousand years into this context here and not filter the purposes of God with a Western Christian mindset. But we need to understand God's kingdom purposes, how God sees what He is outworking through the generations, through the millenniums, through the, 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 the centuries and through the decades. We need to understand what is God doing and what is He unfolding in terms of His purposes. And this is what Paul writes in Romans. Why is he, why is he writing it? Because Paul understood God's kingdom purposes on earth to culminate in both Jew and Gentile being born again, coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Saviour, Saviour for Gentiles, Saviour for Jews, their Messiah. And the, the body of Christ on earth is one new man, one new person in Christ Jesus And Paul understood that before Jesus returns, that the body of Christ, or what we often call the church, the body of Christ on earth needed to be not just, here's the Gentile church over there doing its thing. And here's the Jewish believers over here somewhere that have got to know Jesus and they have their own kind of Messianic thing over there. And yes, we're brothers, but we do separate things. No, what it talks about in here and what Paul understands is that God brings this one new man together, Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus. When that happens biblically in relation also to the Jews going back home to Israel, where that's when most of them, God's going to reveal Himself to them. And they come into this revelation of Jesus is their Messiah and how many of them then respond to Him. And we're in those days now. We're living in these days where they're returning and that is happening. It's the beginning of that happening right now in our day. But this final move of God and more and more people in our nation, more and more leaders that I'm aware of, more and more people are talking about revival we're on the edge of something. Something new is already happening. There's a fresh release. Everything's getting shaken, but there seems to be a fresh release of the Holy Spirit. More and more people are praying, whatever you're praying for revival or whatever people mean by that. But this word revival is being used more and more and more. But in relation in most people's minds to, wow, some, God is doing something. Something's. But most people... Israel and the Jewish people is not even on the map, on the radar in that conversation. It's just God's going to move by His Spirit. He's going to come upon the church and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and all the other. God is moving in the church, in the Western church. He's moving. It's Something fresh is happening. But This end time move of God in the way that most people in the church think is going to happen won't happen in the way that God wants it to happen unless there's this revelation and understanding that God has not finished with the Jewish people. He has not rejected them and said, I finished with them. They blew it. And now the church has replaced the Jewish people as my chosen people. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. The Jews are still God's chosen people. He's chosen them. He's jealous for them. His eye is on them. They are the apple of His eye. The church biblically is not, the Western church is not the apple of God's eye. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. The apple of God's eye. I'm speaking like this, not just you in the room, but I'm just speaking this as a prophetic declaration. Okay, that's half of what I'm doing this morning. The the Jewish people are the apple of God's eye. Jesus was a Jew, born as a Jew. He came for the Jews. He died King of the Jews. He's the Jewish Messiah. He is jealous for them to know Him. Jealous for them to know Him. So we need to understand why Paul wrote the book of Romans. This is why he wrote the book of Romans because what was happening in Rome, in the church there, and if I just give you this context for a moment to understand this. Paul's writing to the church in Rome the Roman Empire was dominating everywhere. The mindset was we conquer, we rule, we dominate and we, we we establish Rome wherever we go. That was the mindset. We establish Rome. Wherever we go, it's now Rome. We take over, we dominate. And everything that came with that was the lifestyle of everything that they were. It was about power, wealth, success, but it was full of greed, lust and perversion, the whole thing. Ah. We have a parallel in our culture now to what the Roman culture used to be. Roman culture, if you read a bit about it, is far worse than our culture is today. And you think, well, we got some stuff going on in our culture these days. If you, were, if you dropped into Rome a couple of thousand years ago, we'd be shocked to the core about what we would see happening in the streets and the way people were treated if they were not a Roman citizen and the rights a Roman citizen had to treat anybody that wasn't a Roman citizen. They could do whatever they wanted to them in whatever ways. The cult, It was far worse than our culture is today. But the culture that we have today, the spirit of it comes from that, well, before that time. But the philosophy of that culture And what that represented is the spirit that is at work now, today in our culture. And the enemy, the devil wants to take our society and culture down that road to become more and more like it was then in this setting. So the church was was birthed in that. So what happened? Jewish believers were sent. They went all over the place. They went to Rome. They preached the gospel. People started to get... Say born again. And so the early church began to be a mixture of then Jewish believers and then Gentile or pe- people that were Romans getting born again or maybe people from other nations that had gone to Rome for whatever reason. And so there was this Jewish and Gentile church that was, that was growing in, in Rome. And that's how it was birthed. That's the first stage. But then... <clears throat> Claudius, who was in charge of Rome at the time, he threw all the Jews out of Rome, got rid of them, expelled them. He said, get lost, get rid of all the Jews. We don't want you here. Get anything, anybody that's Jewish, get lost, get out. And they were expelled. Five years later, Claudius died. Uh, and then whoever took over, I don't know who took over, but then the Jews started to come back after that. But in that five years, something happened in the church in Rome. What happened was when the Jews left, because it was only the Jews that spoke Hebrew, the scriptures they had were in Hebrew. And therefore, when the Jews left, they took the scriptures with them, the Old, the Old Testament scriptures they had. So therefore, the Gentile believers didn't have the scriptures in the same way. And if you imagine the mindset of a Roman, well, we, we go in and we conquer. We go in and we take over, we go in and we establish Rome. We go in and we we you've got to then submit to all that. Now, what began to happen in the church in Rome is some of that thinking began to come into the church in Rome. And what began to happen in that five years without the Scriptures, without that input in that way and without the guys that experienced more firsthand who Jesus was and the teachings that came from who Jesus was and all that the early church were living in, some other stuff started to come in. And some of the thinking that started to come in is, well, God has actually finished with the Jewish people. It was their fault that Jesus went to the cross. And so they've missed it. And actually now as Gentiles or as Romans, we now replace the Jewish people as God's chosen people. And that's what began to infiltrate the early church. And, and then when the Jews came back after five years, there was this tension in the church in, in Rome because the Jewish guys were coming back and they were coming into this context where they were being treated as second-class citizens, which was the mindset and the culture of Rome. If you're not a Roman, you're second-class. You're here as a slave. You're here to serve us. And that was the mindset towards the Jewish believers or anybody that was Jewish, but certainly the Jewish believers in the, the in, as part of the church. And so this tension had arisen in the church and Paul hears of this somehow and he's like, wow, he wants to go to them but for some reason he couldn't. So that's why he then wrote the letter to the Romans. He's like, this must be addressed because if this isn't addressed, then something's gonna begin to perpetuate where Jews are gonna be persecuted for knowing Jesus by those who say they know Jesus. All right, so in a nutshell, because it's half past 11 and I know you're sticklers for the time. um, He writes chapters one to eight and in chapters one to eight, he's basically saying, this is the gospel of salvation. In verse 16 of chapter one, He says, the gospel, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for everyone who believes. So, we're we're gonna, next week, we're gonna look at the first few verses of of chapter one. We've got seven messages for the first six verses of chapter one. Is that all right? And they're not anorak messages. They're not, oh my word, where are you going with all this anorak information? It's not information. God's gonna speak into our hearts. This is why it's gonna take a while, but it's gonna be all applicable into our lives, what this means. And and the the challenge is gonna be, are we living the gospel? That's gonna be the challenge. These are not head messages you're gonna get. Oh, we've got loads of information about Romans. Brilliant, I could do a PhD now on the book of Romans. God's not interested in you and me doing a PhD on the book of Romans. If God called you to do that, fantastic. But God's more interested in us living it and expressing it in terms of what the Gospel is than He is how much we know. But we need to, un- we need to know some stuff here and here to then live this thing out. So first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, we- we'll unpack some of that, right? Um, then God gets into, in this first chapter, Paul, after that, Paul describes God's wrath for mankind. Hallelujah. We need a message on the wrath of God and you're gonna get one. Is that okay? (laughs) We're gonna have a message on the wrath of God in sometime in the next few weeks. I'm looking forward to it because when God talks about His wrath, because of what He's already done on the cross, God's wrath is not a bad message if you know Jesus. Anyway, Paul gets into the God's wrath. Then he gets into, this is all in chapter one. There's there's loads I've missed out to do a chapter one. We'll come in the next few weeks to that, right? Then he gets into God's judgment on sin because if there's God's wrath, he's got to do something with his wrath against mankind. But because of his heart, he doesn't want to judge mankind. So he's got to judge sin, the power of sin. And he, he decides to do that by sending Jesus to the cross. When we talk about sin, we're not just talking about the sins you and I commit. We're talking about the power of sin that came in when Adam and Eve took that bit of fruit from the tree and acted independently from God. At that moment, the Bible says sin entered the world. It wasn't just sin, it was the power of sin and the power of sin separates people from God. And one of the things Paul understood and why he was so, he went into so much detail and passionate about this letter to the Romans, because he understood that the effect of sin was now affecting the church and bringing a separation between Jew and Gentile. And he says, we cannot have this separation between Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ, because if there's division, there's no release of God. And over here, the church is praying for revival and for God to send His Spirit and all of that sort of stuff. But at the same time, a lot of the church over here says God's finished with the Jews. He's not interested in them. Now we're the chosen people. We're the apple of His eye. We've now taken first place. He doesn't love them anymore because they rejected Jesus and put Him on the cross. And that's one of the reasons why we don't see a release of the Spirit in an unprecedented way in our nation. Then what else? Just to finish this morning. He writes these first eight chapters, so he gets into all this stuff. He then goes into... uh, there is no righteousness that we have of our own. He, he, he's, some of what he writes in the first few chapters, he's, some of it is, this is for you, the Jews, because of your mindset and how you think and what goes on. And this bit, this is for you Gentiles, because this is your issue, that's what's going on. And he intertwines it all. And he tackles the Jewish mindset of trying to fulfil the law and of a self-righteousness. And that if we do this, Then that leads to salvation and he starts hitting that saying, no, 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 this Gospel is completely a Gospel that is by faith and faith alone through the grace of God and what He has done. And that hits on all the Jewish mindset of of all the things I have to do to be acceptable to God and to be holy, right? We'll come to all of that, what that means. But then he's also hitting what the Gentiles think and the Roman mindset of uh, who they think they are in relation to God and how they've replaced the Jewish people and this, that and the other. And he says, no, 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 hang on. This Gospel is a Gospel of of grace. Well, it's a Gospel by faith that comes through grace or it's a Gospel of grace that comes by faith. They both work either way round. And he explains all this and then he explains in chapter 8 what it means to be a person of the Spirit and not of the flesh. And he's addressing all sorts of things in there which we will come to but then he, he, he writes those first eight chapters to then write 9, 10 and 11. And if you take 9, 10 and 11 out of Romans, there's absolutely no point writing the book of the letter. No point whatsoever. I mean, it's a great explanation of the Gospel. But in 9, 10 and 11, what does he do? After showing the Gentiles, the Romans and the Jews or any other Gentiles that are there in those first eight chapters, after after Writing all that he did and showing them that whether you're Jew or Gentile, this is all by God's grace. This is all by faith. This is not by any of your works or anything you could do. He then explains in 9, 10, and 11 how God has he's chosen the Jewish people, he's not rejected them, not finished with them, and that they are the root of the gospel of our faith. And he explains that as Gentiles, we are grafted into what belongs to the Jews, what was given to the Jews. And three times in chapter one, Paul says to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, first in terms of the Gospel going to them and then to the Gentiles afterwards. Then he, then he says, he talks about judgment and he said the Jews are going to be judged first, then the Gentiles. But then he talks about being blessed a few verses later, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There's this precedent that he's setting right at the beginning in chapter one saying, guys, you can't forget this. You've not replaced them. And then after explaining some things in 9, 10, 11, which will that'll be a, quite a drop down that, those few weeks, okay? He then goes into 12 to 16. This is the last thing I want to say. Why did Paul write the first two verses of chapter 12? When it talks about, he's called us to be living sacrifices, that we are transformed by the renewing of the mind. What does he say in those verses? He says, do not conform to the... The patterns of this world. What is he actually speaking into there? What he's speaking into is the reason why he wrote the letter. So imagine first eight chapters, because of the issue in the church in Rome, he explains the gospel. Then he explains in the next three chapters why he's not finished with the Jewish people and they are part of God's plans and purposes and they need salvation. He then says, Okay, Roman believers, Gentiles, stop thinking according to your own old Roman culture ways that you are the best, that you should be dominant, that you should be first, that you should be this, you should be that. He says, stop conforming to the pattern that you've been shaped by and grown up by. He's, that's what he's, he's speaking into this context. We've got to bring, put Scripture in perspective. And now we can take that now today and say we are transformed by the reunion of our minds because we don't want to live according to the patterns of the world we live in now. But why are the first two verses in Romans chapter 12 so important for the church in our nation to understand It's because of the context in which Paul was speaking. You cannot teach Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 unless you relate it to Romans 9, 10 and 11 in the context of why he wrote chapters 1 to 8. You cannot teach Romans 12, 1 and 2 without that context. I believe God wants to get the church in our nation back to the Bible in a way that we have changed it to say what we want it to say to fit the culture and the context that we live in. And God wants to get us back to who He is and what He says so that He can release His Spirit in a way that He wants to. There will be transformation, not only in the church, but something's going to happen in our nation, in other nations as a result. But we have to do it. We have to go at it according to God's way, not our own. So there was a long last thing I was going to say. But I, I, I just believe it's so important where we're going over these next few, few months. So, so important. This is going to be a circumcision of our hearts. Are you up for that? Two people sound excited about that. (laughs) But when God circumcises our hearts, it's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. It's not a, oh no, here we go again. Here we go again. Here we go again. These days we're living in, they are so critical. How God wants His church to be. And so in those couple of verses, he says, don't conform any longer, he's saying to the Romans, don't conform to the pattern that you've lived by and you can no longer say God's finished with the Jews, we're the Romans, we're this, that and the other. But he's also speaking to the Jewish believers. Don't conform to the pattern that you used to live by, the law and this and that and the other, self-righteousness, doing it this way and that makes you holy. No, no. There's, we'll come on to whatever I was gonna say next week, the next part. God is passionate about His Word, His will and His purpose is being outworked. When you then look at chapters 12 through to 16, maybe not some, well, yeah, they're all relevant. Uh, that he, what's he unpacking there? Basically, as Jew and Gentile, how do you live this thing out together? How do you live as a people of love? That's basically where he goes for the rest of the, the book. So it's phenomenal, phenomenal letter that I was so prophetic uh, for these times. I don't know if I've done a very good job in explaining what, what's on my heart to explain to you guys this morning. Um, and some of you might be thinking, I don't know where you're going or what you're talking about, I don't know. Or you might think, wow, this is pretty full on. What's the rest of it gonna be like then? And um, we will get some other people who've got more of a teaching gift to be nice and teach you something <laughs> as we go through the Book of Romans. I'll do the ones that are a bit more preachy with a bit of teaching. Is that all right? <laughs> the thing is, right, are you all right for a minute? Okay, your lunch can hold off for a second. Look, we, we can't be about this we can't just walk away and go, oh, I've learned something new this morning. Brilliant. We've got a God's all about us living the stuff. And what we understand, He wants us to be living. What impacts our heart, He wants to be then the way we think and, and all of that. So it's all. And so we're going to pray, one, just for God's grace to. Just completely consume us as a church during this period of time to really get our heart and our heads around all this stuff and what it really means. What really is the gospel? And we're gonna, we are gonna talk about some things that are some pinch points, if you like, in our society and culture. Um. We've been talking and praying through some stuff as a leadership team over, over a period of time about some of the things that we need to talk about that Paul addresses in the book of Romans. And it's important that we speak about these things uh, that are some of the challenges that are going on out there at the moment. And But we're gonna give a context in which we're gonna speak about some of these things, okay? And I believe We've had some very, very interesting conversations as a leadership team about certain things that I won't go into now. And and we were challenged by each other and by some things we talked about and and how we need to approach certain subjects and what we say and what we don't say. It's really, really important that everything that we speak about, we speak about from God's heart. Because when Jesus taught, he says in John chapter 12, I think it is verse 48 and 49 or 48 to 50, something like that, it's in John 12, as far as I'm aware. It's where he says that I do the things that my Father showed me to do, but I only speak the words that he gives me to speak. But then, but we miss out the last few verses of that sentence. He says, because he says, I only say the things my Father gives me to speak. And we stop there. And we go, but well, that's the truth. Lump it or like it, you know, it's tough. But then what does Jesus say at the end? And how to say them. That is so important. That the heart by which things are said, okay, and then also what is said. So we are going to talk about some challenging things, okay, And um, because it's important that we do because we need to have the right heart and the right understanding. And different people are going to be sharing some of those as well. Uh, over these next few few weeks. Part of this culture of grace is there being absolutely no essence of condemnation, judgment and criticism. Because all the judgment in God's justice was exercised on Jesus. You and I have absolutely no right whatsoever to condemn, to criticise and judge anyone. It's only by God's mercy that you and I are sitting here today because none of us deserve to be treated in the way that God treats each of us. And it's only by God's grace that He enables us to then live in the good of all that He has blessed us with and given us. And so whatever we come at and whatever we talk about over these next few months, it's not being on a hobby horse, it's not about sitting on a soapbox, it's not saying anybody's better than anybody else, but it's coming with a heart that says, God, would you do whatever you need to do in my heart because there will be some things that are gonna come up in your heart over the next few months that you're going to have to deal with with the Lord, because we we had we've had some challenging conversations as a leadership team about some things, and we were like, wow, I was like, you know, it's uh, is that okay? Let's stand together, shall we? I don't know if it's been pretty full on for you this morning. I don't know. Let's just close our eyes a minute. Father, we thank You that You're real. That You're not highfalutin. You're not a surface God. You're not religious in any way whatsoever. We thank You that Your Word says it as it is. And Father, we thank You that You are jealous. Jealous. Firstly for your purposes to be outworked on the earth as they are in heaven. That's the first thing God is jealous for. And because He's jealous for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, because He is love and that's His nature, He then expresses His love to those that He wants to come into line with His will, which is every person on the planet that has been, is and will be whether Jew or Gentile and under Gentile is every ethnicity and race that is not Jewish. Every colour skin, every language, every background, every all of that comes under Gentile. And God is jealous for people to come to know Him. God knows people's lives are caught in the power of sin, under the control of sin in so many different ways but He went to the cross to break and conquer and defeat the power of sin. So that no matter who comes to Him with whatever in their life, God meets them with His forgiveness, with His mercy, with His grace, with His goodness, with His abundance, because that's His nature, that's His heart. And so Father, I just thank You for this morning. I know it's gone on a bit. Father, I thank You for Your grace for us as a church to get a hold of what is on Your heart, the significance of what this Romans thing is all about and why it's so relevant today. Maybe just say to the Lord Yourself, Holy Spirit, I just welcome You, ask You, whatever you want to show me, whatever you want to reveal to me, whatever you want to do in my heart or life over these coming weeks and months, I give you permission because God will never do anything in your life without your permission. He honours and respects what He has put in place in your life, which He, He has given you a will. And although we belong to Him and we are His in that sense, we've surrendered everything to Him and say, well, my life's not my own, it's yours. He's still, because it's a relationship of love, in the same way in a marriage, a husband and wife give themselves to each other and say, I'm yours, you are mine. A husband and wife never then demands, well, because you married me, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. That relationship of love still respects and honours the other person's will. And God will always do that in our lives. And maybe part of what he's doing in us is that part of our heart desire and the the setting of our heart is, is that we live like this in our lives. Father, do whatever you want, I'm yours. I just surrender my will. Whatever you want, I'm yours, I'm there. I don't know, maybe that's where God wants to get us to that point where we're just so, that's okay, Father. If you're saying it, do it. If you're saying it, I'm there. If you're saying it, brilliant. I just surrender afresh. We thank You, Jesus. We praise Your mighty, awesome Name. Father, I just pray that as a church, we get a fresh revelation of Your Word in lots of different ways in these next few months, in the way that we live it out individually, together, in our small groups, in our families, in our households, and and whatever that's gonna look like, church, in the home, and everything else going forward. Father, we thank You for Your grace. Father, we pray for the church in this nation that we have a fresh revelation of what this is all about and what You are doing on the earth. For I just pray for a revelation for the church in this nation your heart for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel, not just the political state, but the people Israel. And what you mean biblically by that, that we have a fresh understanding and revelation, Father, of your purposes so that when we pray and we, we talk about things like revival, we're not praying from a point of view of just saying, well, God, send it, send it, send it, because you revive people. You don't just send something. You've already sent your Spirit and you've sent your Spirit to enable us to live a revived life. And so, Father, I thank you that you work in the church in this nation in these days. Father, let us even as a church in this nation have the same revelation that they've had in the church in the Ukraine. They're miles further down the road, Father, than we are in this nation. So many church leaders all over the Ukraine and and, and Messianic leaders, those guys, they they're, they get this, they understand it and they've been seeing such a move of the Spirit across the Ukraine. It's been phenomenal what you've been doing there. They're way ahead of where we are in the UK in terms of a release of the Spirit, but it comes from this understanding of what you are doing and what you want your the body of Christ to be like. Maybe send some of those guys here to help us instead of us as western Christians thinking oh we can go and help them. Maybe send some of the pastor's leaders people to this nation. There are already some here. Maybe send more father to help bring a fresh revelation uh, to the church in this nation. So that we come alive, we awake in different ways in this nation so that we understand the bigger picture of what You're doing and what that means for us as Your people in this nation. Father, we thank You for all You're doing. It's so much more than a Sunday morning meeting. We praise Your awesome Name. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. Amen.